0: Uh, Well, friends, uh, I'm I'm not sure whether you've ever been panning for gold before, but uh, I had a chance to pan for gold recently when I was on my holiday. Um, And I must say, it it was a very exhilarating experience. You know, uh, they they give you this uh, shallow pan, and uh, you go down to the river, and uh, you dig out some soil uh, at the riverbed, and... Mm. Uh, you let in some water into the pan and you start sloshing around uh, the the slurry that 's in the pan until the useless things get separated from the precious things. Uh, you see precious metal uh, is heavier than all the useless stuff that 's in the soil, and so uh, uh, after a while and gradually the the soil and the little pebbles uh, kind of move off to one side and uh, you keep on doing that until uh, right at the end, you are left with these nuggets of gold. Uh, well, in my, my case, it was just little flakes of gold. But uh, you, know, you, you when you see the gold, you cannot help but feel this overwhelming sense of delight at holding this precious thing in your hands. Uh, Now, this morning, uh, we're going to have a look at Psalm 19 together in a bit more detail. And uh, I want to suggest that what the psalmist is doing in this psalm is he wants to help us feel this kind of delight about something that is even more precious than gold. Uh, What is this precious thing uh, that God wants us to delight in and desire in our lives? Well, uh, as you've heard all morning... um, it is actually the, the law of the Lord that God is talking about. Uh, you might know that the law or Torah in the Bible is uh, speaking about the first five books of the Old Testament. It uh, is often referred to as the law of Moses, as you might know. Uh, but in the Psalms, the law does not necessarily mean the, the first five books of the Old Testament But it means general instruction, uh, general teaching and instruction from God. Uh, Interestingly, uh, if you just uh, flick through uh, the the, the book of Psalms, uh, you will notice that the Psalms are actually broken up into five uh, separate books. Uh, It's meant to kind of give you the feel that this is like the first five books of the, the Old Testament. Uh, and it's as if the, the psalmist wants to encourage us to meditate on this um, as God's precious instruction to us. Uh, if, in fact, the whole book of Psalms is actually bookended by two very important psalms that speak about the law of the Lord. Uh, Psalm 19 is the one that we're going to look at and that, and that's sort of towards the beginning of the book of Psalms. Does anyone know... Uh, The other one, that's uh, towards the end of the psalms. It's a very famous psalm. No? Who said that? I heard a voice. (laughs) Uh, Grace. Psalm 119, it's the the largest psalm in the book of Psalms. It's sort of towards the end of the book of Psalms. And that's another uh, psalm that deals with uh, the law or the Torah. However, did you notice that Psalm 19 doesn't actually begin with any mention of the law of the Lord? It doesn't begin with God making himself known through the law. But rather, it begins with God making himself known through the creation uh, you can just imagine the psalmist, can't you, who in this case is King David, sort of uh, going outside from his palace uh, on, a, on a summer night and uh, looking up at the heavens and the stars in, in the sky, uh, seeing something of what God is like. Uh, Now you can see there that it is the creation itself that is doing the speaking, can't you? Uh, In verse 1, it's the heavens that are declaring something. Uh, It's the sky that's doing the proclaiming and revealing knowledge about God. Further, uh, this speech does not stop. In verse 2, it keeps on going day by day, day to day and, and night to night. It's a little bit like my son Levi when he gets excited about something. Uh, we, we have a joke in our household that uh, you know, when he gets excited about something, he can speak underwater and uh, he, can, he can speak in his sleep. Uh, the speech is just incessant. The creation is a bit like that in, in speaking about who God is and what he is like. Further, this speech is unusual. Uh, It's unusual in the fact that it's silent speech. There's a bit of debate as to how to translate verse 3, but uh, I think that what the psalmist is getting at here is the silent way in which the creation speaks. I mean, if you look up in the sky, uh, you're not going to see words that just are kind of written across the clouds, are you? Uh, Or if you have a look up in the night sky, uh, you're not going to hear an audible voice from God coming down out of heaven. Uh, Creation is silent in that sense, and yet it does speak something to you, doesn't it? It's as though you are hearing with your eyes. Finally, this speech is general. Uh, It's general in the sense that it's spoken to everyone. Everyone. Uh, you can see there in verse 4 that uh, it goes out through all the earth and it goes to the end of the, of the world. Uh, the same point is made, I think, in verses 4 to 6 with the image of the sun. Uh, you know, the, the psalmist is using poetry here to, to describe something that he's observing about how the sun moves across the sky. You know, he, he says it's like a bridegroom leaving his chamber to be seen in public. It's like a strong man or a champion running his race with joy. Uh, you might think of Usain Bolt on his wedding day, sort of coming out and, and kind of sprinting across the sky. But the point is that just as the sun comes out and shines its light on everyone in this world, the knowledge of God through creation in a similar way goes out to all the world throughout the, the whole creation but um, this speech is general in another sense as well isn't it it's general in that it doesn't actually give you a lot of detail about who god is and what he is like i mean it's not as though you can look at a at a fantastic sunset and work out from that that Actually, God's plan is to send Jesus into the world to die on the cross for our sins. It, it, it's just very hard to discern that sort of thing from the creation. But what creation does tell us is that God is glorious, and that He is powerful, and that He is our cre- Creator, who has a claim on your life and my life. Uh, You know, it's a bit like going to the art gallery and and seeing a masterpiece. Uh, You know, you might go to the Louvre Museum in in Paris and admire uh, the great painting of the Mona Lisa. And uh, when you get up close, you might uh, be able to see uh, somewhere in the painting the the signature of Leonardo da Vinci. And uh, you know when you see that signature, that the person who painted this painting must have been a genius. You know, you can't work out everything about Leonardo da Vinci just by looking at the painting, but you can know something about his genius. Uh, The great reformer John Calvin used to say that creation is like the theatre of God's glory. You look at creation rightly and you can see just how glorious God really is. Have you ever experienced that before, friends? Have you ever stood before towering, snow-capped mountains that took your breath away and you just think to yourself, how glorious is the God who created all this? Or have you ever learned something extraordinary about the the human body? I'm learning things about my body all the time. And uh, not always, but I sometimes think, how powerful (laughs) is the God who made us like this. Or have you ever seen a David Attenborough documentary and been blown away by the variety and, and the detail of the animal kingdom and you think to yourself, you know, how creative is the God who made all this? Now, he didn't just make one kind of animal, but he created millions of different animals. But friends, there is a problem here, isn't there? For while those who know God, like the psalmist, will listen to creation and praise the Creator, it is also true that people who do not know God do not respond like this when they see the creation. Is that true? I mean, I have yet to meet anyone who uh, did not know God already kind of uh, look at the sunset and think to himself or herself, yes, God is glorious. Yes, he is my creator and I need to thank him and I need to seek him and, and worship him with my life. In fact, what the Bible says is that in, in, in places like Romans 1 is that those who do not know God look at the creation and what they want to do is they want to hide from God. Uh, that's why the psalmist, I think, very subtly introduces the theme of hiding at the end of verse 6. Uh, you know, the, the creation screams out that God is glorious. It gives sufficient knowledge about God to everyone, and yet rather than thanking God and seeking Him and, and worshipping Him, it's as though people kind of willfully cover their ears and try to hide themselves under a blanket and refuse to have anything to do with God. That's why, friends, it is not unfair of God to judge people on the last day. It's because the knowledge of God is sufficiently available to everyone in this world through the creation, and yet people willfully reject him. You know how sometimes uh, people... Um, say how unfair it, must, it is of God um, to judge someone in deepest, darkest Africa somewhere who has never heard of God before? Have you heard that sort of uh, claim being made? Well, God says that that person in deep, deepest, darkest whatever doesn't actually exist for there is a knowledge of God that is publicly available. It doesn't tell you everything about God, but it is sufficiently available to all people everywhere through the creation and yet people take that knowledge and they reject God. Uh, I got a parking ticket the other day, much to my uh, great shame. Um, but I got the ticket because I did not know this particular law that says you cannot park your car next to a yellow line by the curb. Uh, did anyone know that law? Oh, yeah. Who didn't know that law? Oh, well, I feel much better now. Uh, but you see, I could not plead ignorance when it came to paying the fine, could I? Uh, that's how our, our legal system works. Because The law is public knowledge. It's publicly available for everyone and anyone who wants to find out. It's been this law has been in place for over a decade, apparently. And so I could not plead ignorance when it came to paying the fine. That's a bit like that here, isn't it? Uh, The knowledge of God is public knowledge, it's available to everyone. And so those who do not respond in the right way by thanking God and seeking God and worshipping him cannot plead ignorance. Uh, Just like the sun um, shined its light on everyone and no one can hide from its heat, no one will be able to hide from God because of the way they respond. Uh, Well, friends, uh, the first part of this psalm is about the knowledge of God that comes through creation. Uh, However, the second part of this psalm is about the knowledge of God that comes through the Scriptures. Uh, In the first half of the psalm, we imagined King David uh, looking up and seeing the glory of God in the night sky. Here, you see King David sitting in front of a book. He's sitting in front of the Scriptures, Uh, You can see that the psalmist describes the scriptures in in, uh, many different ways here, can't you? In verse 7, he uh, refers to it as the law of the Lord. But if you kind of glance down at verses 7 to 9, you'll see that uh, he refers to it also as the testimony of the Lord and the precepts of the Lord and the commandment of the Lord and the fear of the Lord and the rules of the Lord and so forth. Uh, He's he's referring to the, the scriptures Uh, Now, you might be thinking to yourself that it's strange that uh, God is associated with a book. Uh, I mean, books are cerebral. They require thinking. Uh, Many people think that books are dry, Uh, books are mundane. But one of the striking things here is that the psalmist says that it is through this book that you can come to a personal and intimate and right knowledge of God himself. Uh, I think you can see this in the contrast of how God is described in Psalm 1. Uh, if you have a look there at verse 1, for example, you'll notice that God is uh, revealed through the creation. But did you notice that God is simply described there in verse 1 as God uh, the word that is used there is just a, a generic uh, word for God because the knowledge of God that is available through creation is just a, a very general kind of knowledge. However, if you come down with me to verses 7 to 9, uh, what is the word that is used to describe God in those verses? Can somebody call it out? It's the Lord, isn't it? Uh, Lord in capital letters. Uh, when, whenever you see the, the, the word Lord in capital letters in the Old Testament, uh, it's actually uh, a translation of the word Yahweh, which was the personal name of God that was revealed to the people of Israel. Uh, you know, God saves his people um, at the Exodus, um, and uh, he, he, he reveals himself personally to his people and gives, him, uh, gives them this name, By which to call him. You see, the point that the psalmist is making here is that it is through the scriptures that you can come to know God personally, intimately, rightly. In fact, you cannot know God in any other way but through the scriptures in this way. Moreover, you can see there that what the psalmist does line by line is to tell us about the character of the Scriptures and what it actually achieves in the lives of people who know God. And so, for example, you can see there in verse 7 that the Scriptures are described as perfect uh, or whole or complete uh, is the meaning there. Uh, It's perfect in the sense that nothing needs to be added to it in order for this... A scripture or this word of God to achieve its purpose. And what is its purpose? Well, in verse 7, you can see there that it is to give life to the one who knows God. The scriptures revive your soul. Or have a look with me at the second part of verse 7. What are the scriptures like? Well, it's described there as being sure or dependable or faithful. Or reliable, you see, because God is the one who created the world, well, he knows better than you and me how this world works. And so, when he says something in the scriptures about how to live your life, well, that word is sure, it's dependable, it's reliable, you can bank your life on it. That's why the verse goes on to say that the scriptures give wisdom to the simple. Uh, It's not saying, you know, um, everyone's uh, a simpleton. Uh, It's actually saying uh, people are not, you know, experienced in how to live life without the word of God. But the word of God will give you the wisdom to live in this world and to make wise decisions about every area of your life, from work to marriage to raising your children to uh, how to speak, because God knows better than you and me about how this world works, you see. Or have a look at verse 8, how the scriptures describe there. Well, they are described as being right. In other words, if you follow the scriptures, they will lead you down the right track. They will lead you down the right path rather than the wrong paths in life. And so the verse goes on to say that it will rejoice the heart as you follow his word and as you realise that following his word takes you down good and right paths. Uh, I'm not going to keep on going with this, uh, with with the rest, but uh, you get the point. And friends, uh, I want you to see very clearly that this is why the psalmist says that the scriptures are to be desired more than the most valuable gold and the sweetest honey, in the wonderful words of verse 10. Don't you love verse 10? Um, More to be desired are they than gold even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. You see, it's because through the scriptures a person can truly come to know God and be given life and wisdom and joy in their lives and in their hearts, which is something that the finest gold and the sweetest honey cannot offer you in the end. Do you desire the scriptures more than you desire gold? Or a lucrative career? Or winning the Oz Lotto? Do you desire the scriptures more than the sweetest honey? Or a lifestyle of dining out at the finest Michelin star restaurants? Or a life of travel and earthly pleasure? You know, we do lots of worthwhile things and good things that build our wealth and give us opportunities to enjoy many of the pleasures in this life. And yet, when it comes to the crunch, do you and I desire the scriptures more than these things? Um, I sometimes have conversations with people trying to encourage them to invest their time and energy in knowing God through the scriptures. And yet for many people, the honest truth is is that they are just too busy with work and family and travel and pleasure. Not necessarily bad or evil things, but they just crowd out the best thing, so that they have no time to invest in reading and growing in the scriptures, both individually and corporately with other friends who want to help them. Sadly, it's obvious for many of these people that they are trying to find their life and their wisdom and their joy, not in the God who created them, but in these other things, that will ultimately let them down. Or um, I sometimes observe parents, uh, even church-going parents, who make decisions that keep on taking themselves and their children away from opportunities to grow in the, in the knowledge of God through the Scriptures. It's not that they're not sort of involved at church or um, in, in, Christian, in the lives of Christian people, It's just that, you know, when they are faced with a choice, well, other things keep on taking precedence. Children's studies or sport or birthday parties usually take precedence over opportunities to grow in in the knowledge of God through the scriptures. And the tragedy of this, of course, is that by doing these, you are teaching your children that other things are more important and more valuable and more to be desired than knowing God. Friends, if this is you, then do not be surprised if your children one day desire gold and honey over God and his word. Do not be surprised if they think That life and wisdom and joy can be found in all the temporary and fleeting things of this world which will one day pass away and walk away from the one who can offer them life and wisdom and joy. For you will have taught this very thing to your children week after week, year after year, until they start believing that there are more valuable and desirable things than God himself. But thankfully, I know that there are many, uh, even here, who desire knowing God through the scriptures more than gold and honey. You know, just in the last few months, I've spoken to two people who've decided to give up lucrative career opportunities overseas because, well, they knew that in reality, taking those opportunities will take them away from opportunities to grow as Christians. Take them away from church. Take them away from growth groups. Take them away from their friends who uh, regularly encourage them to grow in the scriptures. Now, all their work colleagues thought they were crazy. They'd lost their minds. For you see, the world thinks that life and wisdom... And joy is found in the lucrative career and all the material trappings of this world. But you see, these friends, well, they knew that life and wisdom and joy is found in knowing God through the scriptures. And so they desired this more in their life. Friends, where do you find your life and your wisdom and your joy do you desire the scriptures more than the fleeting things of this world because it is there that you personally come to know god and there that you find true life and true wisdom and true joy that endures forever Uh, Well friends, uh, we've seen the psalmist uh, looking at the night sky and hearing about the glory of God. We've seen the psalmist looking into a book and coming to know God, who gives life and wisdom and deep joy in his heart. But uh, finally, in this psalm, we see the psalmist on his knee in prayer. Uh, Why is he on his knees after reading the scriptures? Well, uh, I think it's because the more you read the scriptures, the more you see your sinfulness, don't you? Uh, You can see there in verse 12, for example, that the psalm speaks about his errors. Uh, Literally, uh, that word is speaking about unintentional sins. Uh, You see, the scriptures begin to show you sins that you have committed that you didn't even realize were sins before. Uh, further, in verse 12 again, the psalmist mentions his hidden faults. You know, I have hidden faults and hidden sins, just like I know you have things that you are hiding. But the more we read the scriptures, the more we begin to see that we can hide these things from others, but we cannot hide these things from God. God. Or have a look with me at verse 13. The psalmist speaks about presumptuous sins. Uh, These are the willful sins he commits, knowing that they are sinful. You see, even as we read the scriptures, it's as though the scriptures are reading us and searching our hearts and knowing our sin and rebellion before God. And that's why this psalmist is now on his knees praying to God and humbly asking him for his help. For he knows that the only way that he can find life and wisdom and true joy in his heart is for God to forgive his sins and for him to begin living God's way. Now that's why in verse 12 he asks God to declare him innocent. From his sins. Uh, That's why in verse 13 he asked for God's help, not to be dominated by sin, but now that he might be helped to live God's way. Uh, It's a wonderfully humble prayer, isn't it? It's a wonderfully heartfelt prayer that closes with the famous words of verse 14 Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord my rock and my redeemer. And you know, friends, this is the kind of prayer that will always be accepted by God because of the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross to be our rock and redeemer. He will always accept the humble person who turns to him for forgiveness and genuinely desires to live a new life of obedience in faith. Not the one who merely professes faith, but has already decided in his heart not to live God's way, but the one who genuinely turns to God and genuinely desires true and lasting change to live God's way. Have you ever prayed a prayer like this, friends? Are these the words that you find coming out of your mouth and meditating in your heart before God. Uh, well, friends, uh, let me finish up. Um, I don't know whether you watched the royal wedding last night. Uh, hands up if you watched the, the royal wedding. Uh, there's no shame in that. That's okay. Um, but, but, <laughs> put your hand up. Uh, I, I, I couldn't watch it, to be honest. But um, whatever you think of the royal wedding, the real winner here is Meghan Markle, isn't it? Uh, you know, she is a relative nobody. Who's heard of Meghan Markle before? <laughs> well, a few people. <laughs> but, you know, suddenly she has this great privilege of being near to the future King of England. Now, uh, I must admit, I struggled this week to really get to the core of what Psalm 19 is all about. Um, And the thing I couldn't understand, I'll tell you, uh, the thing I couldn't understand is why would the psalmist stick verses 1 to 6 that speaks about the revelation of God through creation together with uh, verses 7 to 14 which speak about the law of God? Uh, What's he trying to do there? But the more I think about it, uh, I wonder what, that what the psalmist is reflecting on here is the great privilege of the nation of Israel who have been given God's very law and instruction. You see, Israel, like Megan Markle, was a nobody, was a nobody nation. And yet God had set his love on her and rescued her from slavery in Egypt and he had given them his very law, so that they could know him and love him and serve him together with their children and their children's children. What a great privilege to be able to know God personally through this law and to love him and serve him as God. To all the other nations, the only revelation of God was available through the creation, but to this nation, Was given the law. And friends, I want to say that if you and I are here this morning and you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, then your privilege and my privilege is even greater than the nation of Israel. For God has set his love on you and me, and he has rescued us through the blood of his very own son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and now he has given us. His book, his scriptures, so that we might know not just generally what he is like, but so that we might be led in not only on his character, but on his plans for his world, what he thinks about this world and where it is heading, and how to live right in this world, so that you and I might know true life and true wisdom and true joy that endures forever. And so, uh, if you have fallen off the horse when it comes to reading the scriptures, uh, perhaps you might want to meditate today and throughout the week of the great privilege we have in being given the scriptures by God himself so that you might climb back on that horse and keep on going. If you know that other things in life have been getting in the way of you growing in the scriptures and knowing God um, better and better in your life, then perhaps you might want to meditate on what you heard today and do something about it. Perhaps desiring the scriptures more than these other things may mean actually making some hard decisions to say no to these other things. To cut certain things out of our life, not because they're necessarily bad, but because there is something more valuable, more desirable, more life giving than the things that we seek. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you this morning because your creation speaks to us about your glory and your awesome power and majesty as our creator. Uh, But we thank you, Father, even more that we can know you not only as our creator but as our redeemer through the scriptures which point us to Jesus and his redemptive work on the cross for us. Help us, Father, we pray, to know you more and more through the scriptures. Help us to desire knowing you more than the finest gold, Help us to taste your goodness in the scriptures as sweeter than drippings from the honeycomb. Father, forgive us for often desiring and chasing the things of this world more than your word in the way that we live our lives. Please help us to repent and make changes that will grow us in knowing you through the scriptures so that we might know true life that we might know true wisdom and that we might know true joy in our hearts that will last forever. For we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.